0: Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast, the first of 2023. In this week's episode, we hark back to Pharma Forum's coverage of The Economist's 8th Annual World Cancer Series Congress in Brussels back in November, where I managed to take a moment of Greg Rossi of AstraZeneca's time and discuss the many themes explored during that conference. From innovation to equity, and cancer care to cancer control across Europe, and its transferability to the UK situation, we discussed cancer during crises, the pandemic, the ongoing war in Ukraine, and how innovation can only be excellent when it is implemented successfully. And that requires change in systems and in behaviour across the board. There is much to absorb from our discussions, but I hope you are as fascinated by the topics we touched upon as I was. And thank you for listening. So this is Nicole Raleigh, web editor of Pharma Forum, and I'm here with Greg Rossi, head of Europe and Canada Oncology at AstraZeneca. And we are at the Economist Impact 8th Annual World Cancer Series, which is once again face-to-face after the pandemic in Brussels, in Belgium. So nice to meet you, Greg. Nice to meet you, Nicole. And it was nice also, well, interesting more than nice to hear the panel discussion today on the future of European cancer control in a time of crisis. And I was just wondering if, to start with, you could tell me how you think the panel went this morning.
1: I think it was a... Really interesting, actually, an important panel conversation, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, I think this conference in particular is a great um, ability to bring multiple stakeholders together. You don't normally get that at, at many of these conferences. And so we had on the panel, you know, somebody representing the European Parliament, somebody representing patient advocacy. Uh, we had a physician, um, you know, represent from Poland representing um, the Uh, management of cancer patients, particularly I think in this time of crisis with the uh, population from Ukraine that has been displaced. Uh, And I think it was really interesting to hear his perspective and challenges that they were seeing and and, and feeling. Um, And then I was obviously representing the the, the pharmaceutical industry on that panel. And I think for me, two things about it. One is it's that multi-stakeholder conversation, but also I think taking stock of where we've been Um, Over the last couple of years through these serial crises that we've had um, that have affected cancer patients. It's a really important time for us to understand what that looks like, uh, diagnose, I think, uh, some of the resilience of our health systems and the challenges that we're doing. And most importantly, how we can partner moving forward to try and improve cancer outcomes across the region.
0: Yes, definitely. Partnership has been a pervasive word at this Congress. And um, I'm, I just want to circle back to your sort of mention of increasing. One thing you did mention was that over a million cancer screening tests have not. Sort of Was it taken up or made yes, during so, the pandemic? So,
1: so over a million appointments for um, cancer screening. So these are um, uh, invitations out to, to you know, individuals, particularly, I think, women for breast cancer, or yeah. men for prostate cancer, um, that were not taken up during 2020. And we know that that is going to have an impact. In fact, we already see that's having an impact in the diagnosis rates. Mm-hmm. The diagnosis rates in 2020 for cancer across the region was substantially down over historical norms mm-hmm. in 2019. And we know that yeah. cancer doesn't go away. We know that those patients will present to the health system, but they're going to present with later stage disease, with bulkier disease, with more hard to treat disease. And therefore, unfortunately, we know those patients are going to have worse outcomes. Mm.
0: And do you think there is, as you also mentioned, a sort of step-in role that telemedicine can provide at this juncture with this potential uh, extra crisis in addition to the Ukrainian crisis mentioned today?
1: I think that there's a number of things that we learned in the acute phase of the the pandemic. Um, uh, And that was that firstly systems could be a lot more flexible than we have really believed possible whether that's the regulatory systems the payer funding systems or how we basically have patients engaging with the health system and allowing that to happen remotely with appropriate care and i think that um, as i look back on astrazeneca and the way that we have uh, tried to support health systems and make sure that the resilience of those health systems is sustained um, and how patients are supported, you know, supporting things like telemedicine, supporting things like Mm at-home use of therapies, um, moving towards uh, easier routes of administration like subcutaneous dosing Mm -hmm. for our intravenous products, which we did, um, you know, providing um, the use of, you know, apps that can do symptom management and, Mm -hmm. and, and toxicity assessment so that we can triage patients into engaging with their care. Um, Centres um, as necessary, so they can stay on therapy. All of those things were things that I think the industry did. Certainly, AstraZeneca did um, during the uh, the times of the pandemic. And I think we can leverage that experience and say, what out of those actually can we have as more sort of longevity, if you like, uh, post the the, uh, the pandemic.
0: Yes, this word longevity, uh, another theme of uh, the Congress here today has been sustainability, even though we might come up with potentially long-term plans. Are they sustainable long-term plans? And um, I think that links well with your mention of flexible systems. Obviously, the Congress is focused on the European situation. I wonder um, how the knowledge being shared here today and the discussions that are taking place today, how does that transfer to the United Kingdom situation? in your opinion?
1: So I think that many of the themes and issues are commonplace across the various member states, uh, including um, uh, the UK. Um, I think that there have been a number of um, changes and uh, approaches that have shown actually a high degree of flexibility, whether it's in terms of decision-making around the vaccines, decision-making around, um, you know, uh, alternative treatments, um, uh, rapid review of the evidence. I think all of those things are, um, you know, commonplace across the, uh, the the entire region, including the UK. Um, I think that for me, um, some of the challenges that I spoke about uh, are not necessarily specific to our experience around managing through the pandemic or through the Ukraine crisis with the displaced uh, people, but actually I think are more systemic issues around uh, Um, cancer. And I think that um, we are working at a time of innovation. Um, The the title of this conference in fact is, is innovation, equity and excellence. And I think that um, we are seeing huge strides in understanding cancer biology and in treating it, but we don't necessarily see equitable outcomes across Mm -hmm. the territory. And I don't think that's just pandemic. I think the pandemic um, made visible and showcase those, those differences. But I don't think that they it necessarily cause those differences. Um, and I think that if we are truly to drive towards excellence, then we need to start talking about how some of these systems can work together with the multi-stakeholders, be more flexible and ensure that we're getting the adoption of best quality care.
0: Definitely. I definitely agree. Um, just thinking on the topic of equity while you're talking then, I mean, we do, obviously in the United Kingdom, we have a slightly more microcosmic experience of what's being discussed on the European level. Um, so do you think it is the sort of, I know you have said it is practically the transferable same terms, but when it comes to equity as much as flexibility of delivery, is it the same situation in the United Kingdom? Are the socioeconomic issues
1: comparable? I think the again, the sort of the, the themes that, that we know influence cancer outcomes, so um, the ability to access timely care, um, the um, the uptake of screening, um, the adoption of biomarker testing so we can make sure that we can identify. Not just the individual patient, but characterise the tumour at a level which is um, relevant for understanding the interventions that we have, and then um, uh, using and adopting the, the therapies um, uh, as early as we can to get the best outcome that we that we can. Um, I think those themes are common. I think the for, for me the UK um, shows all of those things. So if we look at, for example, um, uh, equity across. Uh, populations that are disadvantaged. We know that the worst outcomes um, are associated with those that are most disadvantaged. Uh, We can see that in the sense of um, the uptake of screening is lower, the um, uh, access to to care is less timely, and the adoption of many of the interventions um, is, uh, is lower, and therefore they get worse outcomes. And I think that we see that within a country like the UK and we see it across uh, the region uh, Mm -hmm. when we look at Europe as a whole.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Right, to circle back to the specifics of this event, um, you are going to be talking also about lung cancer screening specifically and recent recommendations to the European Council to recommend it across the region. So can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: I think that one of the, uh, well, firstly, I think there's been huge strides, huge success in lung cancer. When I started in the industry uh, over 25 years ago, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, combinations of chemotherapy, the, you know, regimen length of chemotherapy. We weren't doing very much as an industry in early stage disease. Um, uh, and um, I think if you fast forward 25 years and you look at the outcomes that we can now have both in metastatic disease and in early stage disease, um, they are you know, truly transformational. Um, uh, I think that a lot of people haven't appreciated, outside of you know, people that work in cancer or who manage cancer, that actually the outcomes in early stage uh, lung cancer can be quite good. Lung cancer is identified early. Um, uh, we have a reasonable chance of cure um, with the technologies we have, whether that's surgery, radiation, or systemic therapies. So screening becomes a really important part. If there's something you can do about it mm-hmm. by catching it early, then I think the the value of screening um, increases dramatically. We've seen that in breast cancer, we've seen it in prostate cancer. We're now starting to see it in lung cancer, and the data, I believe, are, are quite you know uh, unequivocal that mm-hmm. um, we can, uh, with high risk populations, identify patients. Um, who are likely to have, you know, uh, risk of lung cancer. And we can do that through low dose CT um, uh, scanning. And the recommendations are coming. So I think the European Parliament is making recommendations. There's a lot of recommendations now made uh, with um, individual um, uh, groups like ISLAC, the lung cancer uh, clinical group. I don't think that member states have adopted that yet um, fully. Uh, although there has been some recent positive news, I think in the UK uh, that that puts low dose CT screening as a, um, a policy initiative. So I think that um, the time has come for us to add this cancer to prostate cancer, to cervical cancer, to um, uh, to breast cancer um, as one of the, the uh, colorectal cancer as one of the major cancers to screen for, um, and I think that uh, we're going to see that evidence now turned into policy and that policy now needs to turn into action.
0: Mm, definitely. I mean, do you think, will it potentially be a faster process than the screening for breast cancer has been of like 20 or 30 years to where we are today, given um, the data we have from those other screenings? Do you think it will be slightly easier?
1: Uh, I wish I could say yes yeah. to that. Um, I, so I, I hope. I'm you know, I work in cancer drug development, so I'm an optimist um, by nature. Um, uh, I, I think that the, the system change and the behavioural change for cancer screening and cancer adoption is a challenging one. So I think um, it's one thing developing the evidence. I think it's another thing to take the evidence into practice and to have behavioural change associated with that. Um, however, I am optimistic that um, the ability for us to communicate clearly, and I think appropriately, um, with the multiple stakeholders. I think the the joint interests and the adoption of other screening protocols like breast cancer should allow us to at least sort of understand and learn from that and be able to implement faster and better in Mm. this particular case.
0: You, obviously, you're head of Europe and Canada Oncology. So I was wondering if you could also tell us a bit more about AstraZeneca's oncology business
1: as a whole, whatever you want to share, that sort of thing. So AstraZeneca has been in oncology for a very long time, you know, uh, since the uh, days of uh, Arimidex and and, uh, Tamoxifen and and these drugs. Um, But I think over the last 10 years, we've really seen an inflection point, a revolution at, at AstraZeneca in terms of cancer care. And the portfolio of drugs that we now have, and the evidence that we've now developed around these drugs um, uh, is really, I think, uh, quite extraordinary. I think one just has to look back at the recent ESMO. We had 75 abstracts at ESMO. Um, we had uh, data showing five and seven years survival in ovarian cancer. We had data in lung cancer. We had um, uh, uh, emerging technologies like ADC about bispecifics. Um, so, across the range of modalities, the range of tumor types, um, and the breadth of, of what we're doing, um, uh, I think this is a very unique time at AstraZeneca. We've grown uh, very substantially over the last sort of three or four years. Uh, because of that, I think we are anticipated, if you look at the analyst projections, to be able to continue that double digit growth over the next period. And I think uh, the important part of that is. What does that mean for patients? I think it means that we have got a lot of innovation that we're going to be bringing over the next sort of five to ten years.
0: Yes, definitely. Actually, I was just speaking with someone about your Pala 1 ovarian cancer study the other week. So I can definitely see this innovation that's happening and development. And lastly, I just wanted to ask you, although you've been a speaker and are a speaker here, um, and obviously AstraZeneca is a diamond sponsor of this event. I just wanted to ask you what you might have heard that's been of interest to you, pricked up your ears and you thought, ah, now that, that's a fascinating takeaway from this event.
1: Yeah, well, we're only halfway through, so I'm sure there's going to be know, a lot of fascinating things that is coming. Um, I, I thought the sessions this morning were really interesting. Um, I think that um, there were... And, and what I liked, actually, is the breadth of the themes that we heard. So, you know, one thing that... that uh, was talked about this morning was the right to be forgotten and its impact on whether screening and testing protocols um, um, and prior cancer diagnosis is going to have an impact on financial wherewithal of cancer patients can they gain access to insurance can they gain access to mortgages um, that's a you know uh, a really important conversation and we as we as the industry start thinking about the the the, the really innovative technologies and the creative ways that we can identify cancer early, we can test cancer, we can screen. Um, I think we've got to start thinking a little bit about those other broader implications and partner with with um, uh, health policy makers in terms of what they're doing. Uh, we also heard a lot about data and data portability um, and um, the integration of different data sources. And one of the things that, um, uh, again, was something that I hadn't really uh, thought as much about. I thought a lot about data, but the idea of a, a portable health record, uh, particularly for individuals who are displaced. So the Ukrainian population, either within Ukraine or beyond the borders of Ukraine, um, you know, they, they don't have a, a comprehensive data record. To understand what their cancer treatments or their cancer outcomes or their tests may have been, so they're starting from a, uh, a point of sort of you know agnosticism within the health system. So the idea of data portability and making sure that we actually um, think about how data is managed and how it's integrated and who it's made available to, I think are also really important sort of uh, concepts about how cancer ultimately can get managed within health systems, not just about how innovations can be developed, but how do you actually deliver that innovation in real time to real people uh, in the real world.
0: Definitely, I think your last sort of comment points there encapsulate this Congress as a whole. So thank you very much for your time, Greg. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter
0: at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening.